Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. Uh, I want to say good morning to our friends in the family room today. Good to see you guys over there. Thanks for being here. I don't know if you guys can see in the family room, but we got food up on the stage. I know you guys have food over there on the stage too, um, but it's starting to edge me out, which is awesome. If you don't want to hear a sermon next week, bring more food. So cover the stage. No, that's, I'm just kidding because I'm going to give you one anyway. So, all right. Hey, let's pray together. Then we're going to jump in. Okay. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your goodness to us. Uh, your goodness is overwhelming. Your love is amazing. Uh, your grace is amazing. So thank you for all those good gifts. Uh, Lord, would you pour out your blessing on us today? And would you do it in this way? Would you, if we can ask for a certain blessing, would you open up our hearts to your, to your heart today? Would you connect our hearts together today with you as well as with one another that we're worshiping you with? And would you just lock us into you? Let our thoughts be made captive to you so that you have our attention and you have our will and you have our mind. And Lord, we ask you would shape us today by the things that we share together. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I have to tell you, I'm a fan of this weather. Is it all right? Yeah. How many of you are unhappy because this is just not hot enough? Yeah, see, uh, my, my wife was like, it's just not hot enough. It's got to gotta be hotter. She just thinks if it's not hotter, it's not hot enough, which means it could always get hotter, which means it could always get better, I guess. I don't, I don't understand the I want it hot thing. I'm like, 74 and cloudy is like magnificent. I'm, I'm thinking. Because there's something about heat. I don't know how you guys deal with this, but there's something about heat in the summer. If, if we've got one of those big, long heat spells, just, it just wears me out. I, I just get tired. I met a, I met a lakesider last night in our, before our 5 o'clock gathering around the lobby, and she was saying that they went to a swim meet all day long yesterday. And I know how those swim meets go. You're out in the sun all day long. She goes, it was so great today because the sun wasn't pounding on us, so I know tomorrow's going to be a better day. Because we're not going to be crabby at each other. I'm like, I know, I, I get that. Because the sun, it just wears you out. I understand why Jesus, when he, when he taught his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the last line that he gave them to pray was this, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm like, right on, don't lead me into temptation. I can find it all by myself. And it finds me back. And temptation is like, a, is like a heat wave in the summer. It just it pastors you and pastors you and pastors you and pastors you and it wears you down until you give in. And you do that thing that tempted you. You, you follow along that path where you got tempted, right? And, it, and it's, it's so frustrating because in my life, I don't want to sin. And probably most of you are like that. It's like, yeah, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to go off the path that God has for me or those kinds of things. I don't want to sin. I don't want to give in one more time to a lustful thought. I don't want it. I don't want to give in one more time to that temptation to have extra ice cream. Well, gluttony is not a sin. Oh, well, oh, yeah, well, okay, yeah, it's, okay, well, I don't, yeah, I know. I don't want to give in one more time to any of those little things that tempt me. I don't want to give in one more time to the temptation to judge somebody else. I don't want to give in to the temptation one more time to be a gossip about somebody else. 
I don't want to. But the temptation comes and it comes and it comes. It's like a heat wave in the summer. It just pounds on you and pesters you until you get worn out. And then you give in to it. And I imagine if you're here as a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, I, I don't want that either. I want to live a life of holiness. I want to be righteous before God. I want to be righteous before my brothers and sisters and the people around me in this world. That's what I want. But it's hard because temptation just pesters and pesters and tires us out. We uh, are spending the summer, this summer, talking about the Apostle Peter. And if you're new with, uh, with us at Lakeside, or maybe if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're just sort of investigating who this Jesus character might be, uh, maybe you don't know this person, but we've been spending the summer talking about the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter was uh, one of Jesus' very first disciples, one of his very first followers, and he is a really interesting model for us. Not a, not a great model for us, but a very interesting model for us. Not a great model because he didn't always do it right. In fact, he often didn't do it right. In fact, on second thought, he's probably a really good example for us because we often don't do it right either. And so to find someone who's like Peter, who messed up a lot of times in his life, and yet as God worked through him by his Holy Spirit, Peter was sh being shaped and he was being changed and he was being transformed from the inside out into what we call a passionate and productive follower of Jesus. And that's how it went for him. So really, he's a great model for us. Because we can look back at his life and compare it to our life and say, hey, there's hope for us to go forward. There's hope for us to overcome this cycle of tempting and falling and tempting and falling and tempting and falling. There's hope for us. So we're going to continue on in that conversation about the Apostle Peter today. And I want uh, to look at a couple of things. I want to, we're going to eventually get to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's the letter that Peter wrote. We're not going to get there yet. I want to tell you a story from Peter's life to set us up for 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your copy of the Bible with you, uh, open up to John chapter 21. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one on the chair near you. You can use that one. If you've got a smartphone, there's a Bible app on there. You can use that. We're using, we're using version Bible app for note-taking these days. If you, there's some little outline in there. If that's helpful to you, that's fine. John chapter 21, it's the story of Peter and some other disciples after the resurrection of Christ. So the story starts off with the word afterwards. So just so you know where we are, Jesus has died on a cross. They buried him. On the third day, he came back to life. And then he started showing up to people, which is a pretty good way to tell people, hey, I came back to life. If you, if, you know, it's, it's one thing to die. It's a, it's a whole different thing to come back to life. How many, how many humans die? Oh, how many come back to life on this planet in a body? Yeah, only Jesus. Well, there was that Lazarus character too, but that's another story. That was through Jesus, right? So, so that's really unique. So there's the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Then he begins to appear to the, to the disciples, and he's already appeared to them twice in Jerusalem by the time we get to this story. And that's the background. So here's the story. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, 
Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them, but even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love this little story. Uh, It reminds me of the first meeting that Peter had with Jesus. Remember, if you were with us at the beginning of this series about a month ago, we looked at Luke chapter 5 and we found out that Jesus met people that became followers of Jesus at the lakeside. That's really how Lakeside Church got our name is by people meeting with Christ at the lakeside. And that's what we desire for this church. And so here's the story back in Luke chapter 5 that we started with. And it's Peter out there fishing. and He's not catching anything. And now in John chapter 21, at the end of Jesus' ministry, sort of, sort of the same thing happens. A little different detail, little different things going on. But it's very familiar to what happened the first time. And when you read it like that, you might scratch your head and go, Peter, you should have got this a little bit faster. But remember, it's Peter. And Peter's a lot like us. And so... Be nice to him, like you would be nice to yourself, okay? So they're out there, the disciples are out there fishing. They, they'd seen Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus had said to them, go up to Galilee and wait for me there. You'll see me when you get to Galilee. So they go up to Galilee now, and they're waiting. They're so excited because they know they're going to get to see Jesus, which would be amazing to see a resurrected person. And so like they're waiting. Peter's waiting. And waiting. How do you like it? That was only like five seconds. You guys are like going out of your skin. Hurry up, hurry up. Come on, get on with the story. No, they're waiting. And after a while, Peter can't take it any longer either. He says to the other disciples, I'm going out to fish. And the disciples say, whoa, 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 we'll go with you. Now, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Some of you love fishing. Two, four, Six, nice. I can count by twos. How about that? So, yeah, so there's nothing wrong with fishing. It's not bad that Peter was going fishing, and if you like to fish, that's awesome. Personally, I like to catch. It's way better. But he, so he goes out to fish, and, uh, and it's not bad, except that for Peter, it, represent, it represented a reverting to his pre-Jesus life. If you remember back to the story when Peter first met Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, after all the stuff they had done, he said, Peter, I want you to leave your nets behind, and instead of being a fisher for fish, I want you to be a fisher from people. I want you to be a fisher of men, is the old way of saying it. Now Peter, waiting for Jesus to show up, he says, I'm going to go fishing. And in a sense, it's Peter reverting to his pre-Christ 
life. Now, for a lot of us, we're followers of Jesus. A lot of us in this room, a lot of us in the family room, we're followers of Jesus. And that's great. And some of you are probably here just investigating who Jesus is, and that's great too. I so applaud you. If you're just thinking about who he is and researching and trying to study it and then show up at church to try and get some help in figuring that out, that's awesome. But for those who are followers of Jesus already, it's interesting because often we get in a spot where we put our faith in Christ, we come to faith in Christ, but we don't, remember, we don't learn, we don't ever really lock into how do we leave behind that old life that we were in, that pre-Christ life, that before-Christ life. And here's Peter, and he goes right back when he's waiting for Jesus. He gets tired, and he goes right back to that pre-Christ life. He goes, I'm going to go fishing. And, of course, they get out there. The other disciples go out there, and they go fishing with him, and they catch nothing. They've been out there all night. That's how they fished in those days. They fish all night, and they drop nets down. They, all night, they caught nothing. And in the morning, when the lights begin, and the sun's beginning to come up, there's a stranger on the shore, and he shouts out to them across 100 yards of water, Hey, fellas, have you caught anything yet? And, you know, one of those disciples was in the boat going, Who's the clown on the shore? <laughs> no. No, we haven't caught anything yet. Somebody shouts back to the stranger, no, we haven't caught anything. So the stranger says, well, why don't you try the right side of the boat? Why don't you take your net from the left side, put it on the right side? You know he's not a fisherman, otherwise he would have said, put it on the starboard. So so they're like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. But for some reason, they decide to take the nets and take them off the left side and put them on the right side. Now, if they would have known it was Jesus, they would have done it really gladly. I'm sure they did it sort of grudgingly because... As the story goes along, you realize they didn't even know it was Jesus yet. It's just some strange dude on the beach going fish off the right side of the boat. And so they did. And as soon as they let the nets down, they caught such a haul of fish, they ended up with 153 big ones, the kind you tell people about. Big fish. That's how the story, it's a fish story, so what do you expect, right? So they're big, 153 big fish. And all of a sudden, John leans over to Pete in the boat, and he goes, it's the Lord. Like, Pete needed help understanding that? He didn't know it was the Lord? Well, apparently, he didn't really know. Now, just stop for a second, because we've been kind of poking on Peter the whole summer. And he's sort of an easy target, and, you know, someday you'll get to heaven, maybe, and you'll, they'll talk about you. And you'll be an easy target too. So let's move off Peter and and look at John for a minute. John's a funny character because he describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved best. It's in the book. The other disciple, uh, yeah, 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 let's see. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, who's that? It's the guy that's writing it. He didn't want to say, then John said to Peter, it's the Lord. He he said, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved best said, it's the Lord. Okay, John, we get the picture. You and Jesus are chummy. <laughs> See, they're all like us. That's it's one of the great things about the scripture. They don't, they don't mess around with it. They don't try and make it better. You know, hey, these, these apostles, they're really like good characters. They're nutcases just like we are. <laughs> and John leans over. He says, he says it's the Lord. And Peter, when he finds out it's the Lord, John had to tell him. When he, and he, I'm like, Peter, you just went through this three years ago. You should have got this one. No, when John tells him it's the Lord, Peter clothes himself because he kind of stripped down to go fishing at night. And he puts his robe on. And he jumps in the water, swims 100 yards in to see Jesus. And they all have, you know, they, they bring in the fish. They all have breakfast together. And it's a great little reunion together with, those, with all those people. Now, after breakfast is over, Jesus 
and Peter have a one-on-one. They have a little conversation. So verse 15 says it this way. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some debate among Bible scholars about what what that refers to, because it could probably refer to a couple different things. Jesus could be saying to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than the guy who thinks I love him best? You know, do you love me more than him? Do you love me more than James and John and Andrew? Do you love me more than these guys? Or he could have been saying, do you love me more than these fish? Because what happened? When Jesus didn't show up right away at the Sea of Galilee and then Peter was waiting for him, Peter decided, I'm going to go fishing. What? I'm going to revert back to my pre-Christ ways. And maybe Jesus just wanted to get this nailed down. Do you love me, Peter, more than these fish? Ask yourself. Let Jesus ask you the question. Do you love me more than these pre-Christ things? that come into your life. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you remember what happened the night before Jesus was crucified? They were all having, the the disciples and Jesus were all having dinner in this room together. They had their last Passover meal together. And during that, that conversation, the disciples knew that the tension was rising. They knew that something bad was going down. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they knew something bad was coming. And they're feeling the stress of that. And somewhere in the evening, Peter pipes up and he says, Jesus, I'll never leave you. If everybody else abandons you, I'm in for good. I'm, I'm in with you all the way to death. And Jesus, I think, kindly said to Peter, uh, Peter, not so much. Actually, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny, to deny three times that you even know me. No, 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 Jesus, I'm in. I promise I'm in all the way. No, before the rooster crows, three times you'll deny that you even know me. You'll swear with an oath. I don't know the man. And now here's Jesus after the resurrection on the shore of the Sea of Galilee next to Peter, and they're taking a walk, and Jesus says, Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your pre-Christ life? Peter knows all that background story. Can you imagine what's going on in Peter's life? He says, oh, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And you can imagine the conversation that's running through Peter's head where he thinks Jesus might say, yeah, I know, Peter. I know 
about you. And Jesus doesn't say that. He just says to Peter, feed my lambs. He commissions him. He says, I have, I have work for you to do. I've got, I've got a life for you to live. Feed my lambs. But then as they're walking, Jesus asks the question again. Peter, do you love me? Oh, that hurt. Lord, you, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. But then as they're going, Jesus asks him a third time. That just about crushed Peter. He said, Lord, you know all things, which means you know everything that happened that night that you were arrested. You know exactly what happened to me. You know I failed you. But you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus didn't go, well, you dirty, rotten disciple. He said, feed my sheep. You take care of my flock. I'm not done with you. You know what Jesus offered Peter that day? Full redemption. Full redemption. Do you know what Jesus offers you every time you give in to temptation, every time you are tempted to go back to that pre-Christ way of life? You know what he offers you? Through his death and through his resurrection, he offers you full redemption. Nothing held back, no, no holdouts on that, nothing, nothing withdrawn from you. Full redemption. Feed my sheep. Engage in the mission. Be my man. Be my woman. Make it happen. I'm with you all the way. Full redemption. Now, one of the great, beautiful things about Peter in his life is that that's not the end of his story. Jesus' story on earth was just about to wrap up. He was going to ascend into heaven, and he himself wouldn't be on the planet anymore, but his disciples would still be here. And so G Peter lived another 30 or maybe 40 years after Jesus death and resurrection. And so you get 30 years or so of perspective that Peter can put back on his life after he's seen God's spirit work in him in all these years. And he writes these letters. We creatively call them first and second Peter. He writes these letters to the church scattered abroad. That's us. And he goes, let me put some perspective on what it looks like to walk with Jesus in your life. And in this case, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, let me give you per some perspective on temptation that pesters and pesters and pesters you in your life. And when he does this, he gives us sort of a code to break that cycle of tempting and falling and tempting and falling and tempting and falling. Listen to 1 Peter, or follow along with this if you like. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Peter says, therefore... Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for, human, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Peter gives some really helpful 
perspective and instruction in how to overcome this cycle of temptation. He says, I want you to arm yourselves. Now, in, a, in contemporary America, people are arming themselves all over the place. Second Amendment rights and all those things. I'm not here to talk about that. Uh, I'm here to talk about something that's a higher calling than that. It's, it's, calling, it's a call to arms that is higher than that. He says to the people who follow Jesus, arm yourselves with an attitude, which is fantastic because every one of you who is a parent already knows this talk. I mean, as soon as, as soon as a baby is born, parents gain wisdom. They go, it's all about attitude. And so your son's growing up and you got, you got a bad attitude, son. You got to change that attitude because if you change your attitude, it changes everything. You've given that talk, haven't you? To your sons or daughters or both. And sometimes don't you even look in the mirror and go, come on, man, it's attitude. You should get this down by now. And Peter says, arm yourself, prepare yourself with the weapons that will help you overcome temptation. Arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. He said, since Christ suffered in his body, you arm yourselves also with the same attitude. So here's, here's what he's not saying. I don't think he's saying that Jesus left heaven to come to earth for the purpose of suffering. It's like, hey, Father, I'm going to go to earth so I can suffer. That was not the deal. That was not Jesus' attitude. Suffering was a byproduct of his attitude, which was this. Hey, Father, I'm going to go to earth because I want to love those people there, and they need me. And as a result of giving himself for others, giving his life for others, it cost him a lot of pain. It cost him a lot of suffering in his body. But his attitude was, I'm going to give myself for others. We think this is such a high value. We put it in our lakeside playbook. We put it on our wall. We give ourselves to others. The challenge is when you give yourselves to others, it's costly. I mean, there's some fun parts about giving yourselves to others. It's fun to watch the look on someone's face when you've served them and done something to be a blessing to them. That's a good gift. But it's, it's costly to give yourself to others. And Peter says, I want you to arm yourself with that attitude that you're going to give your life for others. Because what happens is your motivations change. That's what he said. As a result, people that take this attitude, excuse me, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. They don't live the rest of their lives for their own temptations, but rather they live for the will of God. He says your motivations will change if you arm yourself with the attitude of giving yourselves for others. And then, Jesus, and then Peter gives us the code to unlock that cycle of temptation and falling. Verse 3, he says this, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. I'd like you to memorize that sentence. In fact, I think it's not even a whole sentence because there's some other stuff that comes after that. So, Let's make it tough. Let's raise the bar high today. Would you memorize half a sentence if it could change your life? He says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. In my journey, I learned this sentence a long time ago, and I have not dialed it in perfectly. I... I don't follow it perfectly. I don't know how to follow it perfectly. It's not about that. But it is about making progress toward it. 
It is about taking that statement and saying, that could change the way I live in regard to temptations that pester and pester and pester me. He says, you don't have to live like the pagans anymore. The word, the word that they translate in the NIV version uh, of the Bible, they translate it pagans. It's, it's the word ethne or ethnos. It's the word that refers to Gentiles or the nations, the ethnicities among you. And what he's really referring to is to those, those people who are in a pre-Christ state. They don't yet follow Christ. They don't yet trust Christ. And you lived in a pre-Christ state at some point. And some of you put your faith in Jesus like I did when you were a child, and some of you have put your faith in Jesus as an adult, but we all lived in a pre-Christ state. And the problem for us is we're like Peter. We revert back to our pre-Christ ways. And he said, you've already lived enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, doing what pre-Christ people, pre-Christian people choose to do. The way I learned this was in the New American Standard translation of the scriptures, just a different translation, but the way I learned it said, the time already passed is enough for you to have filled up the lust of the Gentiles. So if I have that sentence in my heart and lust comes knocking on my door, tempting me, I can say, oh, I know about this. I'm prepared for this. I'm armed for this. And I tell that temptation, the time already passed is enough for me to have filled up the lust of the Gentiles. When the temptations towards shiny things comes and knocks on our door, you can go, I'm already armed for this. I don't have to give in to the temptation of more stuff and more stuff and more shiny things. I don't have to give in to that temptation. Because the time already passed is enough to have fulfilled the desire of the Gentiles. Or when the temptation to cheat comes along, or the temptation to lie comes along, or the temptation to gossip comes along, or the temptation to condemn comes along, or the temptation to critique comes along, or all those temptations that trip us up and make us fall when those temptations come along, you are armed for this. Because you can tell that temptation, the time already passed is enough. I don't need to do that one anymore. Our challenge, I think, sometimes comes because we treat temptations like they're on our bucket list. Some of you have a bucket list? One? Okay, oh, yeah, so, yeah, okay, this is interactive. It's good. So, I mean, so you, you, at least you're familiar with the concept, right? The bucket list, the whole the movie and all, yeah, so this stuff I want to do. And sometimes we take our temptations and we treat them like they're on our bucket list. We just want to do them one more time. I say, oh, God, I'm just going to do that one, one more time. You ever say that toward temptation? You know, don't raise your hand. <laughs> oh, this one, this one really, man, that extra scoop of ice cream is just tempting me. You're like, an extra scoop of ice cream is not a sin. No. Unless you already have six on your, in your bowl. It's like, there is that gluttony thing. But see, when that comes along, you can go, oh, no, I, I'm armed for this. The time already passed is enough to have filled up the desire of the Gentiles, whatever that temptation is. But we go, yeah, but, but I just, just one more time. 
I'm just going to give in to this temptation one more time. I'm just going to give in to that temptation to get drunk one more time. Just one more time. You know the problem with the phrase one more time? It never, it never gets fulfilled. Because if you do it this one more time, you always have in the back of your head. One more time. You lie to yourself. Yes. Don't you? Don't we? Oh, just one more time. It's like, oh, I'm just going to keep that one on my bucket list. I'm just going to keep doing that one. Maybe you should cross it off like you would to a bucket list item. Cross that one off. The time already passes enough to have fulfilled or completed the desires of the Gentiles. But some of you will say, yeah, but it's so hard. I mean, you don't know my temptations. My temptations are really hard. Come on. Nobody gets tempted like I do. Which means you think that your temptations are exceptional. <laughs> well, here's where the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul helps the Apostle Peter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will always provide a way out. What if one of the ways he provided as a way out was this statement? The time already passed is enough. Let that one go. The time already passed is enough. God always provides a way out. But he starts that statement by saying this. No temptation is overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, your temptations are not that remarkable. I have a friend who this week had a little health scare, big health scare, actually. She had a PET scan, and they were checking for cancer in her brain. And uh, the PET scan came back with some, uh, you know, things were pretty lit up on that thing. And so it looked pretty bad. And so the doctor called her in. They had a conversation. They checked out kind of what was going on. And they got good news. She, she, she doesn't have cancer in her brain. She's cancer-free and that. So that was all really great news. But the doctor was so excited, he started describing her brain to her and, and, and how healthy it was and everything. And, and he ended up saying to her, you know, your brain is grossly unremarkable. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if that had been me, I might have said, hey, doc, I'm a little bit slow, but could you run that past me again? <laughs> Your brain is grossly unremarkable. Your temptations are grossly unremarkable. They are. Because your temptations are the same as mine, and mine are the same as the next person. They've been the same for human beings for thousands of years. They're grossly unremarkable. But there's a way out of those common temptations. God always provides a way out. The time already passed is enough. No temptation. The time already passed is enough. I don't have to complete that one because I already filled that one up. Time already passed is enough. I learned this phrase years ago. I don't know where I learned it from. It is not original with me. But the phrase, it's a phrase I use when bad things happen to me. Sometimes bad things happen to you, I bet. Big bad things, little bad things, who knows. But I learned this little question to ask when bad things happen to me. I, I try and ask this, how long do I want to feel badly about that? Bad thing happens in your life, whoa, hmm, how long do I want to feel badly about that? 
And so, you know, I, I answer my own question. How long do you want to feel badly about that? 30 days. Because that was bad. 30 days. Uh, that wasn't so bad. How long do you want to feel badly about that? 15 minutes. Uh, I'm going to go pout for 15 minutes, and I'll come back, and I'll be fine. Because I can choose how long I want to feel badly about it. What if you took this statement from Peter and you made it a question for your life? How long do you want to keep filling up that bucket of temptation? How long do you want to give into that temptation? Because reality says the time already passed is enough to have filled up the desires of the Gentiles. The time already passed is enough to have filled up the desires of your pre-Christ life. You're free. Jesus, I pray for us today that we would live freely. Honestly, we don't know how to get free from temptation. We don't know how to get free from sin. But here's one way you've taught us in the scripture to just use a phrase that you've given to us by the power of your spirit. The time already passed is enough. And Lord, as we learn that sentence and as we begin to use that sentence in our lives, would you be faithful to make it a way out for us? I know we have to use it. I know it's a choice we make. But we make choices every single day. My prayer is that we can make this choice. And we would live beautifully, holy, healthy, before you and that we would be able to give you honor and praise through the lives you call us to live. Lord, thank you. We love you. We choose to follow after you again this day through Jesus. Amen.